Welcome to Writer Spark, the podcast with tips and tricks about fiction writing. I'm your host, Melissa Bourbon, national bestselling author, developmental fiction editor, writing coach and instructor, and founder of Writer Spark Academy. I founded Writer Spark as a way to pay it forward. When I started my writing journey, learning about the industry and the craft of writing wasn't as easy as it is now. We're talking 2008 when my first book came out, and this was back in the days when self-addressed stamped envelopes were needed to send and receive your queries and rejections. I wish I knew then what I know now, and that is what Writer Spark is all about. As I said, I'm paying it forward, so to speak. I want new and aspiring authors, as well as anybody on their writing journey, to learn from those who came before and who are living the writing life. That's what this podcast is about. There are episodes on craft topics, and there are conversations with authors because I strongly believe we can learn from each other. So wherever you are on your writing path, WriterSpark is for you. Check out our WriterSpark courses on our website, www.writersparkacademy.com. And if you enjoy the YouTube or podcast, share with your writing friends. Please like and subscribe. It helps everybody else find our show. Today, my guest is USA Today best-selling author Nancy Nagel. She describes her books as small-town love stories with a dash of suspense and a whole lot of heart. Nancy juggled her writing career for a long time with a big career in finance, all while living on a 67-acre farm. Pretty amazing. She has worked in collaboration with a lot of other authors, has many of her books translated into Hallmark movies, and is now happily retired from that finance career. She devotes her time to writing, antiquing, horseback riding, and enjoying the occasional spa day with friends. Today, our topic is making the shift from one genre to another, or as in Nancy's case, from genre fiction to the much bigger category of women's fiction, which is what she's done with her latest book, The Shell Collector. So grab a cup of something tasty, settle in, and get ready to ignite your writer's spark. Nancy Nagel, welcome to my podcast, The Writer's Spark podcast where we give tips and tricks for writers and I'm really really excited to talk to you today because you've really made this huge transition now from uh, romance and what you've written for so long into the very popular and frankly awesome women's fiction genre so I'm very excited to talk to you about that before we do that I would love to get a little bit of your background your sort of origin story so tell me you know how did your publishing career start Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and I'm so glad to be with you again. Um, Yeah, so my origin start is a little different than I think a lot of folks. So, you know, I was a senior vice president with Bank of America for 20 years, and um, in the middle of that career, the year I turned 40, I just turned 60 this summer, um, my job was to ship technology positions offshore to India. And I understood the business case. It was legit. It was good reason, but it was really hard to do. Those people worked for me. I knew how good they were at their jobs and, you know, it was all about the money and it just broke my heart. And so I did a lot of soul searching because I wanted to do something good to kind of offset how horrible I was feeling. Well, I'm a voracious reader and I always have been. And I was reading my mama's books from way before I understood half of what they meant. <laughs> Cut my teeth on Nancy Drew, let's be honest. But then the real reading came when you got the big books like Daniel Steele, you know, and you felt like the hot shot because they were so fat. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, so I thought, you know, the one thing that always gets me through the rough times, whether it's illness, family, business, bad jobs, bad hair, whatever, is books. And I thought, you know, if I could write one book to help one girl through one lousy day, that would be amazing. And so that's really all I set out to do. I didn't set out to get a contract. I didn't, I just wanted to write that one book. And so I started writing and um, it took me about nine years to get my first book contract because I was writing on vacations and on cross-country flights, still working my 70 hour job. (laughs) And um, when I got my first book deal, it was three books with Motley Romance. And um, I, you know, at first I was still, you know, really happy in my career, just writing on the side. It was very exciting that I got a three book deal. And then I got a second three book deal. And then uh, 2014 rolled around and I lost my husband to a really short battle with cancer. He was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer at the end of October 2013, right around his 62nd birthday. And uh, he was gone at the end of January. 
And, um, you know, as I kind of got through the initial shock of how quickly all that had happened, it didn't take me any time to just know that what I needed to do was take an early retirement, move, move my mama in with me and just write full time and do something that was going to bring me joy and hopefully share joy and uplift others. And so that's what I've done. I've never looked back and uh, it was crazy. I don't highly recommend that journey. (laughs) I did like everything you're not supposed to do as a new widow, made major big life changing decisions, um, which were a little nutty, but thank goodness, uh, you know, someone was looking after me and uh, things have worked out fine. (laughs) Did you end up writing characters that sort of made those similar decisions? I have written a characters that have made some hasty decisions. Some of them work out well for them and some of them don't and they have to regroup. Um, but you know, you're absolutely, I mean, that brings up something great because everything we go through life and, and certainly I've been handed some tough, tough turns like so many of us have, all of us have, but the way mm. you handle those bad turns and what you learn from them and what you can share and empathize with others is such a great gift in itself. So yeah. And you know, the book of my heart, the shell collector absolutely came straight out of the grief following the loss of Mike. And, um, and it was funny cause it was kind of a double whammy. You know, I lost Mike in January and five weeks later I lost my cousin Diane who had been battling cancer for years And she and I had been really close and we would talk on the phone all the time. And she shared this story about someone in the family who lived in the Outer Banks where where my cousin Diane had grown up. And Judy would walk the beach all the time. And one day she was walking the beach with something heavy on her heart. And she kicked up a shell. And when she picked it up, it had a scripture written in it. And it was the perfect thing to help her through that moment. And so it was interesting because when I lost Mike, my best friend came and stayed with me. And then five weeks later, I lost Diane. And I remember the first thing that went through my mind was I could use a bucket of those shells right now. And it was something about that and navigating that grief and my friend being Oh my gosh, just such a rock for me. Her husband Mm -hmm. let her come. She stayed nearly three months with me. And I mean, so it was a gift as big from him as it was from her. And um, yeah, it was just that journey that kind of led to the story, The Shell Collector. It will always be the best in my heart. And that was your first sort of transition book into a different genre. Yeah, I'd say it was. I had written one women's fiction um, right out of the gate. The very second book I ever had published was Out of Focus, and it did not fit into the Montlake romance package at all. (laughs) And so they bought it, but then like it didn't come out, it didn't come out. And then we were like, okay, well, now we're going to put it out after the fact because they didn't know where to package it. Um, And it's one of my favorite stories. Um, But yeah, so I I started out in romance, had that out of focus that didn't sit in the box. And I think so many of us, especially as early authors, are writing those stories in our heart and they don't necessarily fit in a box, you know, which regardless of where we're shopping in brick and mortar bookshelf stores, still publishing as a whole needs to be able to know how to put your book in that even virtual shelf so readers can find you. And so, yeah, you know, I think it certainly helps when we can write in, you know, a genre and stay very tight. Um, But I'll say, too, that, you know, I've I've had the luxury of also co-authoring some cozy mysteries. But the one thread that has gone through every bit of my writing, whether it was romance, cozy mysteries or these women's fiction, is that they are small town, uplifting. Mm -hmm family, friendship, community, those kinds of stories. So it it hasn't been too big of a leap, you know, where it hasn't been like paranormal and thrillers and (laughs) versus, you know, hardcore mysteries with dead bodies. (laughs) And then so you can easily take your readers with you. Yeah, so I I have been very lucky um, because I know some authors really vacillate pretty, you know, the pendulum swings really far and left and right between the stories in their heart that they want to bring. And and then Mm -hmm. there's the name issues and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's challenging. Well, I want to say I'm just so sorry about your losses. You know, that's, I can't even imagine it's so, so difficult. Um, But I'm glad that you have had your craft and writing and have been able to sort of channel, you know, some of what you have gone through into books uh, that, you know, resonate with readers. And that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've really just, you know, 
stumbled into such a huge community of other women that have had similar circumstances or even who haven't, but that have, we've uplifted each other. And that's just given me so much strength. Yeah. It's yeah. a blessing. So, um, so let's talk about the process of transitioning. So first of all, are you planning to stick with women's fiction from this point forward? Or do you think you'll still, you know, collaborate and write some of the cozies and still write some of the romance? How are you going to juggle and, and where is your heart now? Yeah. Well, right. There, there are no cozy mysteries on my horizon at this point, nothing on the radar anyway. Um, but, you know, some of the, the sweet romances and, and especially in the Christmas books and the holiday themed kind of books, they just fit so nicely. Now, I will say they usually have some character arc that would lean towards women's fiction. Um, and so the yeah, my stories have definitely grown um, as I've learned more. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, so I think, you know, they're, they're still both on the radar, but what's in my heart are those women's fiction, those family friendships, the, the terrible things we have to go through just to get through darn life, <laughs> but how to survive them, you know, and, and that sometimes, you know, the decisions we make, it's hard, you know, because we've got, we've got the internet at our fingertips now. We've got people on social media that are just ready to give us advice, whether they really have the knowledge to or not. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much stuff and information swirling around us that I think it's almost harder than ever to kind of do what's really in your heart, what's your right thing. Because sometimes mm -hmm. the right decision for everybody else isn't the right decision for you. You know, I mean, there are people that get cheated on and the resolution isn't a divorce. You know, it, it, sometimes that stuff does repair and make a couple stronger and, but it's not a popular opinion, right? So being able to write about some of those different decisions and how they come out okay are important. Um, in the wedding ranch, uh, there's a big theme of forgiveness, and, um, okay, The Wedding Ranch, which is your brand new release, just released was it last week. Yeah, yeah, it did in a sea of red and green. And where normally I would have Christmas books coming out, I've got a book that has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> and actually doesn't have that much to do with weddings. I mean, there are a couple weddings and the setting is a wedding venue. But um, the story is really um, about people um, navigating grief, navigating divorce, you know, looking for, not looking for love, but finding this new kind of love. And, um, and forgiveness is a big thread in that, you know, where it's funny that we can forgive friends or people we don't know too well for lots of things, but sometimes family is the hardest to forgive. And um, so there's an interesting thread in that story um, about family and forgiveness and actually being able to kind of step back from maybe your own emotion and understand mm -hmm. somebody's uh, somebody else's emotion and what they need from you. Um, so that was neat. It wasn't anything I expected or sat down to write. It just kind of grew organically in that story. And, um, and I'm thankful it did. It made, gave me some perspective on some things. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I think I grow as a writer with every book that I write and I grow as a person, as I, you know, delve into experiences that maybe are not my own, but I have to explore in order to write about them authentically. So yeah. I yeah, think it can be absolutely. I think it's funny too, when sometimes readers will kind of hold us accountable for something, one of our characters, a decision our character makes, it may not be the decision we would personally make. Um, and I think it's funny that they can't step back and go, okay, the author was, this is a character and this right, is their right. decision and how they did it. It's not necessarily the author's, opinion you know <laughs> right right hard to separate the two for people sometimes yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so you didn't really set out to necessarily write a women's fiction and, and and make this shift intentionally it just this was the story that you felt compelled to tell at this point and it just happened yeah. to be women's fiction Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My stories started becoming a little bit more complex. And then as life happened and my life became more complex and I needed those things. Yeah. My stories shifted and um, have grown in that direction. So how do you go about, you know, now that you've sort of identified that this is what you're writing and this is why, and you know that there's complexity, how do you step back and kind of examine what you're writing now and replicate that or, or um, identify what is adding that complexity 
you know, like what, what components, what are you putting into your stories that is layering in that complexity that you weren't necessarily doing before? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the beginning, the stories were, um, they were about just sharing happiness. And I will tell you, the hardest thing in the beginning of my career was writing a book with any conflict in it. It was so hard for me to come up with any conflict because all I wanted to do was give happiness and joy around. And so I wanted all my characters to be happy all the time, you know. And uh, so that was really a hard thing for me. What I later, you know, as I started learning more about the craft and learning more to let myself let the characters kind of grow and not hold them back as much um, was that uh, I, I don't have to, it's not my personal journey. And, and in those first stories, a lot of it was more personal. Now it's more as, um, as a bystander or a mentor or like the wise old lady on the corner watching this happen and giving good advice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You kind of have to make yourself vulnerable in that way. Right. You kind of have to let, let the reins go, know that maybe sometimes it's not going to be a popular, it might make somebody sad. I used to be really worried about having any topic that might hurt somebody's feelings or Mm -hmm. um, make somebody emotionally feel sad. You know, I, I lost my brother 17 years ago and I watched how sad my parents were, are still today struggling and grappling with that. Um, but now, you know, I'll write stories that'll have, you know, a, a parent who's lost a child or even an adult child or whatever, and not be quite as afraid of, mm-hmm. um, of triggering something because hopefully in the story, they're going to find um, different ways to handle it or see that, you know, people came out on the other side. So with your romance novels and even with the cozy mystery, I mean, cozy mysteries, obviously there's a dead body and, and the sleuthing is the framework for the plot, yeah. right? Um, I'm starting a new series. It's a project uh, that my agent's going to be shopping. And it's definitely more women's fiction, a little bit of historical fiction. And yeah. it's been so hard not to throw in a dead body, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I kind of have thrown it in. And now I'm thinking, I don't know if that dead body actually really belongs in this story, but I'm struggling with the conflict piece of it. So how do you build your conflict in a women's fiction that is very much more an internal story for your characters, not so plot driven in the way that a cozy mystery is and and really in the way that a romance is, because in a romance, you've got some external force that's keeping your, your hero and your heroine apart, right? So how do you build in or tackle the idea of conflict in a women's fiction, which is so vastly different in my opinion? It is. Yeah. An external conflict is awesome, you know, because you can throw in a storm or, you know, some bad little thing and make it happen. But yeah, internal conflict is, is a much bigger skill to learn, Um, which I guess, you know, too, as you know, I've I've written 40 books or 40 things, you know, some of them are short stories and anthologies, but I've had 40 publications now. Um, you would think it would get easier and easier and easier. And really it doesn't. It's just like, I the know, right? amazing. and like, you're like, Ooh, how do you do that? You know? And it's some of the stuff, like, even when you start talking about doing like flashbacks and I don't know if that's like kind of like your historical angle in your, your new women's fiction or not, but that to me is like, Ooh, how do we do that? And so it kind of puts your study hat back on. Right. And so right. then I you know, read some stories that where they've done it successfully, or I start, you know, looking, reread. Here's the funniest part for me. Like, I own every writing book I think there is to man on my bookshelves, you know, not this one here, this is all my fun stuff, but in my room, you know, that's where all the real stuff is. And it's funny because I would pour through them as a new author and pour, pour, pour. And I've always been one of those people who reads to learn. And, um, now I go back to them and I read them completely different because now I'm in a different place in my career and I yes. I understand more about you know goals, motivation, and conflict, which I didn't understand GMC at all. The first time I read it, I was like, okay, I don't even know how to do that. Can't do it. Yeah, um, same. Yeah, so it's going back to the basics, right? And and we're starting to understand and and learn how to kind of manipulate um, the the scenes so that our character takes the journey that we want them to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of it is not as intentional upfront because I'm still learning it along the way too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how are you a plotter uh, with the women's fiction? Are you a plotter in general? We've had a lot of conversations on this podcast about plotting versus pantsing and, you know, people fall 
generally towards one side or the other, but I think most people are some sort of a hybrid. I mean, you, even if you're a pantser, you have to. Yeah, where do you fall on that spectrum um, I, I fall more on the plotting side and probably more so out of survival because I'm a terrible procrastinator terrible <laughs> procrastinator and so because my background is business and projects and all that kind of stuff I plot very heavily so that I can really then plan and prepare very heavily <laughs> so mm-hmm. that I know where I need to be in the story, not just words on a page each day, but where I need to be on a story at a certain point um, mm-hmm. so that I can manage through it. If I didn't have the plot um, and at least kind of where I was going, I don't know how I would plan the timing of it, you know, but mm-hmm. I know how long it takes to, you know, flush out, you know, some backstory and, and how to pull a thread through and, oh, if you're going to have four storylines going on and like in some, some of my Christmas romances, you know, I have three romances in them. That's a lot of story threads along with the story thread of the poor fruit cake factory getting closed down, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, but planning that stuff is really critical to me being able to get done. So yeah, definitely a plotter. Um, but I am okay with things changing along the way. And I am also famous. This is probably for being a procrastinator too. I tell you, and I would love to know how many other people have this happen. I am fourth quarter always getting the best idea. Same. I got to go back to the beginning and drag that puppy all the way through the story. But that's where, you know, I use Scribner. And I love that because I can I add in the metadata, yeah, and be able to track that thread like that. And so before I started using Scribner, it would take me forever. And then I would have plot holes or misdropped threads, that kind of stuff. But being able to use that metadata really solves a lot for me. How did you learn that? Did you just, you know, watch YouTube or did you, how'd you learn Scribner and metadata and all of that? kicking and screaming. So first I bought it because I love software. You know, that was my background. I was in technology forever. So I got it. And the first time I bought it, I was, I don't even know that I, I wasn't even published. I don't think, but, <laughs> I spent even writing, so right? much time, but I spent so much time learning all the cool stuff and how to make the colors and all that stuff that I couldn't even words written so I like just put that aside like okay Nancy you just gotta put words on the page and then when Kelsey Browning and I wrote those cozy mysteries together um the granny series we were writing in different states and we wanted to be able to collaborate and so we she was she was a big Scrivener user and she's like well, we need to use Scrivener and I was like oh kicking and screaming I hated it and but I did it and then as we got through you know five books two novellas using Scrivener uh-huh. then suddenly I was like yeah 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 now I'm I'm starting to get it and once I was using it and not worrying about the bells and whistles then realizing where those things would help uh-huh. me uh, became like the tool of my heart. <laughs> now I'm like, it's for this man. <laughs> yeah, I love it too. I've been using it for a long time. And for me, and I've said this before on this podcast, for me, it it just allowed me freedom to write out of order, to, to stop writing linearly and chronologically and to jump around. So writer's block is for me, not a thing because I can leave where I might be stuck and let my subconscious work and move on to something else, you know, and, and it's so easy to navigate because, because you've got all of this person. And I'm a, I'm a mood writer, you know? I mean, if I'm in a really good mood, then I want to write a happy scene. If I'm feeling sad, and everybody has their sad days, I want to write that, you know, mournful walk through the garden where you're having those memories that are just gut-wrenching. Um, so, yeah, writing out of order is a gift. I mean, that buys you so much time because then you're still making forward progress, and Scrivener gives you enough little ways to be able to get that, you know, here's my scene entrance and here's my exit criteria. How I get there in the middle, no big deal. I can make right. that happen. Um, and you know, it also means that because I load up, the first things I always load up are you know, my scenes, my enter and exit criteria. So I've got that straw man kind of sitting there. So I can go, oh, okay, oh, yeah, that's what I want to write. And then just start yeah. building up and different yeah. stuff. And, you know, I, every once in a while I'll have like, oh, I'm going to have to do a whole new new scene to get to this transition <laughs> because I didn't plan perfectly, yeah. but 
but that's, that's okay. I think those are often these brilliant aha yes, moments. Yes. My last book, uh, which was Murder and an Irish Curse, which is the fourth in this uh, book magic Pippin Lane Hawthorne series of mine. I wrote the entire thing. It was like a jigsaw puzzle. I, because I didn't, uh, it was plotted, but not to the point that, you know, that made it very easy to write because I knew, you know, I knew how it had to start. I knew some things in the middle and I knew the ending sort of, I knew, I knew how it had to end. I just didn't know how to get there. So I wrote the entire thing out of order. I was dragging back and forth (laughs) and honestly, through the research and those rabbit holes, so many aha, in my opinion, brilliant moments. And, and I think it's a fabulous book. And I think a lot of that was because of the freedom I allowed myself to just let it happen within the the kind of overall framework that I yeah, and I think what you said about letting your subconscious work while you're working on something else is so valid, at least in my process too. In that, like, like okay, so I've I've mentioned these beehives and they're pretty, and but I have no idea what I'm going to do with them. But I've got this little framework here, and it'll it'll come to me later, and it does, and then I can pull it through, you know. <laughs> right. And do you, so, okay, beehives, and then do you say beehives in your uh, scene description there, in your title, and then down below, like five scenes later, remember beehives or something like that? (laughs) That's what I do. Are we using (laughs) that? way I never forget anything. I'm like, oh, yes, I need to add something. Yeah, yeah. It's not nearly as bad as a smoking gun, but, you know, the beehives, you can't just leave them there. got to make money and you never know i mean killer bees or the theme of teamwork or who knows how it's going to unfold exactly yeah or we might heal somebody with a cold who knows (laughs) that's right that's right fun um okay so if you were to you know give some tips to somebody who was really wanting to transition out of say genre fiction into something sort of bigger like women's fiction what would you say to them like what kind of advice would you give well first of all I would say think about why you're wanting to change genres right don't chase a trend I think the most important thing Mm -hmm. is to be genuine to who you are and what stories you have to tell chasing the trends aren't going to get you there people can read that you know, authenticity in your work, or if it's not there, they'll know that too. So do it for a reason. And then be sure that, um, you know, you're, you're reading within your genre. You understand what, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the other, the readers are expecting and it's okay to break the rules as long as you know them. So, you know, educate Mm -hmm. yourself on what's going on with that. And then, you know, I always say, look for other people and writers because this is a wonderful community. We love to help each other and lift one another up. So, you know, be available for them. Let them be available to you. Um, You know, there are not enough books for any of the readers that are reading us. (laughs) We cannot supply them fast enough. If they had their way, we'd write a book a day and we can't. They can read one a day. Right. Sometimes the, the difficult part is finding those readers, but yeah, once we find them, they're they're there for us. <laughs> Definitely. Boy, is it an honor and what a hoot of a good time, right? I mean, the things mm-hmm. that we get to experience and share are just what an amazing. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I love it. Me too. I love it so much. Me too. Did you get to the point in your writing? So 40 books and or novellas over the years. And you've had several of them turned into uh, Hallmark movies and yeah. things like that. And uh, The Shell Collector is on Fox Nation. It's been streaming since Labor Day. The very handsome Christopher Russell, who Hallmark uh, viewers will know and recognize immediately, is the hero in the story. And he is absolutely swoon-worthy. And Caitlin Clark, a new actress um, who lives in Jersey, I got to meet her, so sweet, um, is Amanda, our widow, um, and B is just amazing. You know, it's the first Fox original movie, but they just um, launched their first Christmas one. So I'm hoping I'll have a Christmas one in the future with them. Uh, they did Christmas at the Greenbrier, which is here in West Virginia, and up but a couple hours from me and just so beautiful. It was fun to see. How that. fun. Yeah. That, so what's that just, 
little segue here. What is that like to have your books turned into film, to see them sort of come alive? Have you been happy with how they've been portrayed on the screen? Yeah, it's been a real education too, though. You know, the first one that I had come out was Christmas Joy. And, um, you know, definitely a dream come true for this Hallmark you know, enthusiasts. So <laughs> that was really neat. But what I didn't know, you know, as an author was that, you know, the book is 88,000 words. The screenplay is 20,000 words. So of course the book is always better because there's all that stuff they have to leave out. Right. <laughs> so even when I was on set, you know, I'm born and raised in Virginia, lived in North Carolina as I was kind of healing from the loss of my husband. Now I'm back in Virginia. But when I did uh, go on set for Christmas Joy, like I had all these presents with me to give everybody, you know, I had North Carolina cookies and chocolates and presents. And I also had this little hand made um, lunch bag with a painted bunny on it, which is in the book that this little girl Molly carries around. And so I give all the little gifts out and then I'm like, well, where's Molly? And they're like, Molly? I'm like, the little girl in the movie, is she just not shooting today? Is she, you know, getting tutored? What's going on? They're like, oh yeah, there's no Molly in this movie. I'm like, oh. So then, yeah, so hope it Christmas rolls around. And, uh, and, you know, it's really not a big spoiler, but B is an old woman who owns a bookstore and she's kind of looking for the angel that's going to take her store forward in the future. And of course, in the book, she passes away and it's lovely and beautiful. And Bill Abbott was like, oh, uh, uh-uh. we can't have B die in a Christmas book, <laughs> Christmas movie on all there in happening. I'm like, OK, I get it. Well, what I didn't know was that, you know, they don't consult the author at all in the screenplay. So as I'm watching the movie and I've been on set and seen stuff, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But I, what I didn't know or see was that they kept me alive, but they also pair her up with the mayor at the end. Well, guess what? In the book, the mayor is buying gifts for his wife in her store. Oh, <laughs> so I'm like, I think I remember hearing so this story. <laughs> We can't let her die as an old woman, but we can let her be an adulteress. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was hysterical. So that wasn't particularly, like, pleased with that. But here's the bottom line. As long as it's heartwarming and happy, I'm fine with it. You know, if it was... begrudging or or any of that kind of stuff, then I might be upset. Sand Dollar Cove, totally different than the book, but they're both heartwarming stories. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they picked it up and used the Nate title, but the book is different. That's, that's so interesting. Well, that's a whole nother, I think, podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. So um, back to my, <laughs> my original question that I had in my head. Uh, so this has happened for me, right? I My 29th book just came out, so I'm not quite where you are with 40. And I have no movies under my belt, but I'm heading there. <laughs> um, You'll get them. You'll get them. Believe. That's right. <laughs> Manifest. Uh, yes. So my f- current series, in my opinion, are so much better than my first series, couple of series, in terms of the quality of my writing, right? And the depth of my characters and the complexity of the stories. and I, I kind of, you know, like, I don't want to go back to those more simplistic stories at all. Did you, is that part of your process with transitioning that you sort of have, have outgrown the stories that you used to write and, and the stories you write are just automatically more complex? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I think so. And, you know, too, I even have thought to myself, I should go back and read those and tweak them. And I'm like, yeah, you don't really want to go back and read those. And there is one of the original books that I wrote that my mom just adores. And she's always like, you got to tell people about this. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know about that. Like if I rewrote it, maybe, but mm, I don't think so. Um, So yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're learning all along the way and, uh, Definitely. I mean, I want every book to be better than the next, which was also scary because The Shell Collector, absolutely the book of my heart. I don't think anything could ever be better than The Shell Collector. But even saying that, and I still want The Shell Collector to always be my very best work. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. hoping The Wedding Ranch in some ways is so much better, you know, or has, uh, you know, shows growth. Um, mm-hmm. Because you do. Yeah, I definitely want every book to be better than the last. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's, yeah, it's hard to fathom how that can possibly happen. 
you know, I think one particular series of mine just is so much better than everything else. But then I go back and I read, you know, I got the rights back to a series recently and now I need to go back and read them so I can continue. And I started the first one. I was like, oh, well, this is pretty damn good, actually. (laughs) Sometimes even even when I'm reading like the, you know, the last passes before the galleys and stuff, I'm always like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) I said that, really? <laughs> Which Gosh, you know. I'm good. <laughs> like, I don't even talk like that. <laughs> My right. characters are so much smarter than I am. <laughs> yes, I have a couple of those, too. And it's it's actually really fun to write those characters, I think, to really, you know, try and research and, you know, elevate my intellect <laughs> to match the intellect I need I them to have. Yeah. yeah. You know, now I still, even in the women's fiction, um, slide in lots of crafts and fun stuff like that, too. Because I think, you know, people forget. I mean, we, we live in a microwave and high speed world, you know, and people forget to just rest and relax and re-energize. And I, you know, people will be like, oh, do you write every day? And I'm like, you know what? I, if it's your process to write every day, go for it. It is not my process mm-hmm. to write every single day. I have to mm-hmm. refill my well and experience life and meet new people, eavesdrop on conversations, see things that are funny or even horrible to be able to have those ideas and authentic thoughts to put into a book. Yeah. So I, I love doing crafty things, you know, the barn quilts, which I originally wrote in Christmas Angels. I wrote about the barn quilt tour and um, we have a barn quilt tour in this little town that I just moved to um, a couple years ago. And I then took a class, fell in love with it. I've painted so many, it's not mm-hmm. even funny. And then I brought them back in the second book that said in Antler Creek, uh, What Remains True, which came out last May. And um, yeah, and I'm like, you know, what if you are stressed out and you want something that's kind of just fun and anybody can do it paint a barn quilt they're amazing and a lot of people didn't even know what barn quilts were first book cover I got for uh, what remains true had like chairs with a quilt like grandma's quilt that she quilted you know with sewing over a chair and I'm like yeah that's not a barn quilt barn quilts painted on plywood it's geometric it's got that quilt kind of uh vibe to it but you're nailing it or screwing it to your building (laughs) and the Butterfield tour is driving around to see those and years ago they were like the road signs that weren't there you know if you were looking for joe's dairy farm you were looking for the one with the cow in the middle of it and the black and white stripes or um you know checkerboards um so yeah there's fun stories and facts about them and you know just being able to kind of take people away from the hustle and bustle and the bills and the cooking and the raising your kids and you're making your husband happy and laundry <laughs> and vacuuming and petting the dog <sighs> yeah, <laughs> to right. do those other things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we need it. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of have forgotten what did I used to do before I wrote? What were some of yeah. my hobbies and, and I'm trying, you know, I'm empty nesting now. My youngest son is a sophomore in college and Congratulations. Thank you. And and I'm having a great time. I mean, I prepared myself for it. You know, I do some art journaling and a few things, but you know, I used to sew, I used to do all kinds of crafty things. And now I feel so compelled to write. Like every spare minute I'm writing or I'm working on writer spark things because I've got the website, I've got the courses, yeah. I've got the podcast, I've got the YouTube channel. So I'm it's hard for me to let go of all of those things on my list that I need to do and just do something that I want to do and even figuring out, well, what do I want to do? Because I haven't done it for so long. Yeah. Well, we just need to put our heads together once a month and go, Hey, what are you doing for fun? This is what I'm doing this month. Yeah. (laughs) Honest on it. (laughs) Yes. Like a fun account. uh, What do we call it? A fun accountability group or something. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I love it. (laughs) Filling our well accountability. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's an important part of the process. It is. Yeah. Do you read mostly women's fiction at this point or what is your go-to? Yeah, I still mostly read women's fiction. Um, I kind of always have, but mm-hmm. yeah. Even when I, I first romance, I read more, I really read more cozy mysteries and women's fiction, even when I first started writing romance. 
but I am yeah. a romantic at heart. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All my friends tease me that I live in Nanland where everything is happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like to live my life like a Hallmark movie. And if anybody doesn't bring me that kind of joy, I just cut them out. <laughs> hey, that's good. You know what you want, you know what you need. So I'm off for that. I, when I first started, so my first series is kind of a caper PI series. And um, then my agent, you know, we were talking about what's next. And she says, why don't you try Cozy Mysteries? I think your voice would be great for that. And I was like, what's a Cozy Mystery? I had no idea what a Cozy Mystery was. And so then I did a bunch of research and I figured it out. And so I've written two full series of Cozy Mysteries, but I've never been a huge Cozy reader, interestingly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think my voice just landed itself to, you mm -hmm. know, sweet romance. So I wrote two romances too. Well, they're romantic suspense novels. And yeah. um, they're two of my favorite books. I love them so yeah. much. And these are ones that I've gone back to read. And these are the ones that I'm just turning the pages going, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Because you forget. I forget. Yeah. Oh, yes. What yes. My plots are. And, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, that was really good, good writing. I'm so impressed. Uh, and I, you know, I forget how it ended and all of that. But I don't like to live in that sort of darker place. You know, mysteries are fine. And, you know, the cozy mysteries really worked because you have all of that sort of off the page. And it's it's about the mystery. But for my books, which I would say are almost a hybrid between cozy mystery and women's fiction, it's so much about yes. the characters and the relationships. I love strong female relationships, mothers and daughters and sisters and friends and aunts. Yes. And, you know, yes. Um, so it's been, I loved those books, but I just can't go back to that, even though I wrote them and I think they're great, you know? So it's, a lot of it is, I think, experimenting and, you know, we're all on our own journey and we're going to continue to grow and change. And, you know, I, I think that if we get bored writing something, then it's time to move on. And well, so my process has been, you know, P.I. Caper, which I am going to go back to. Yeah. Um, cozy mysteries, and then my latest is more of a paranormal, uh, paranormal traditional series with some paranormal and cozy elements. And now I'm going into this women's fiction with some mystery elements. So it's this whole yes. entire process. We seem very similar in that respect. That we're on these. Yeah, I think so. Trajectories. Well, and I think too that the more you write, the more you know kind of what your voice can carry. So when I very first started writing, I was a member of Romance Writers of America. I was a member of Mystery Writers of America, and I was a member member of international thriller writers. And I was purposely a member of all those groups because on the business side, it just like your financial portfolio, the more you diversify, the more you learn, the more, you know, so yeah. I, I did it intentionally, but I also thought that I would write stories that would have like a suspense or a thriller edge to them. And then the mm -hmm. Adams Grove series are definitely romantic mysteries and they, they kind of vacillate between mystery and really light suspense, but they're very light. And, um, and it was funny. So by the time I got, you know, I wrote Sweet Teen Secrets and Wedding Cake and Big Mistakes. And then they got a little, little uh, deeper and Pecan Pie and Dilly Lies. Well, then by the time I wrote Mint Juleps and Justice, like I was really trying to write a thriller. And I'm even in the serial killer's mind in his POV in that story, that hero, heroine, and the serial killer. And it scared the bejeebies out of me. I was... <laughs> was so bad and I quickly realized I was like you know the book was great I mean it's got thousands of reviews and it was a um Kindle first yeah where it came out you know for certain people a month before it came out and um so it did great but yeah on a personal level I was like yeah I don't think I can really do this and so that's when I started you know started shifting a little out of that and more in to the romance side and more into the families and the, yeah. So you, you start learning a lot about yourself and what your voice can carry. Yeah. Does it make you wonder just a little bit about how twisted some of these authors must actually be? <laughs> they put on a good face outside, but my God, how do they write such creepy things all the time? Yeah. Well, and especially because some of them, now some of them are just creepy, you know? <laughs> When you meet them, you're like, mm, now I know how I can write those. I'm a little nervous being in this room with you. But a yeah. lot of the gals that write thrillers and they're dark, they are so sweet and wonderful yeah. and, and they're good moms and all this stuff. And in fact, I was um, 
I was at Deadwood this past summer and roomed with a girl and um, I, I didn't know her and I didn't look her up. But as, as I'm at the airport, like I'm on the plane and I'm like, oh, I should look her up and see what she's written. You know? And I look yeah. it up and like the books all have blood spatter on them and this stuff. I had myself so worked up about meeting her. And then when I meet her at the, the car, she's like this lovely, wonderful, sweet mom. And we got along great. But she did say to me, yeah, don't read any of my books, Nancy. You will not. No, do not read. Here's one romantic suspense that I wrote that I think is still going to creep you out, but you can read this one. <laughs> So interesting. Yeah, it is funny. It is funny. Yeah, yeah. Just wow. To be inside somebody's mind that just writes that stuff all the time. I think, I don't know. It, that's really hard for me. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, that there are yeah. people who do it, you know. I, and um, I get easily freaked out, you know, like I'm not the girl that can go to the scary Halloween thing, you know. I can't I mean, watch, like, you know, the, the haunted forest and people jumping at you. Oh, no, I cannot do that. Blair Witch Trials, never, scary movies, Blair Witch, like, never, no, yeah. never saw it, oh, no. never watched any of those movies. My kids are always, come on, come on. You oh, know, my, my husband, so my husband hasn't seen a scary movie in 30 years because I won't go with him. Hey, now he does so, go with my kids. But. Yeah, and I don't watch horror movies and all that stuff. So I was, I had written Christmas Joy. We had gone through edits. Um, we were in the final pass. And the girl who was doing the proof editing sent a note to my editor and I and said, um, did you know that this town, Crystal Lake, is where, like, <laughs> I think it was the Halloween or the Friday the 13th movies is set? And I'm oh, like, right. no. <laughs> so suddenly, Christmas Joy, we had to go all the way back through it and change everything to Crystal Falls because yeah. I had no idea. And my editor, she doesn't watch that stuff either. We had no idea we were setting a town that was filled with, you know, horror. horror. <laughs> oh my God, that's that hilarious. Nearly the same kind of red and green Christmas. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I guess at least it was discovered before. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't have yeah. I don't think it ended up in Walmart. <laughs> I have a novella called Mission Merry Christmas that is like a sweet nugget of a little read. I love it um, because you can read it. You have time to read this one. Like you'll get yeah. through it in an evening. It's like 25,000 words, I think. But it's really fun. And um, it's I don't have very many Christmas books that don't have a white Christmas. But this one is set in the islands. Oh, and I have a sports therapist who's down there to help a baseball player who tweaked his knee and is a big old bah humbugger. And uh, they end up uh, putting on kind of a faux white Christmas in the islands for his nephew. And uh, the paperback even has um, templates for snowflakes and how to do the um, make crystals on your snowflakes so they look pretty and shiny when you hang them oh, up. Yeah. It'd be a fun thing to do with the kids. Yeah. So I had a ball writing that and um, I've already actually started worked, working on the screenplay for it because I think it would make a great little Hallmark or whatever. Any of those 14 networks that now have Christmas movies, um, yeah. I think it'd make a great movie. So uh, I'm working yeah, on it. Yeah. It I like uh, the idea that it's set someplace differently. Now, I always want cold at Christmas and snow is great, but you know, the idea of a Christmas movie or Christmas book set somewhere else is, is entertaining and different, right? Yes. So yeah, you do yeah. the screenplays yourself? I haven't done the screenplays in the past, but I've had such a great opportunity to see my books and the resulting screenplays. And then, you know, I had the great honor of novelizing the Christmas and Evergreen movies into novels for Hallmark. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, I was writing, I was using the screenplay in the movie to write the book. So I've done it both ways. I've written the book. I've written uh, the book out of the screenplay. The screenplays have been written out of my book. I've seen them both ways. And so, yeah, I feel like I've had a pretty good starter education on it. And um, so, yeah, I'm hoping some of these will fly. We'll see. I'm, 2023 is my year to try to get those in the right hands. That's very exciting. So how do you, yeah. will your agent shop those or do you have connections now to send those out or how does that work? I have more connections now and um, I think I'll actually be working to get a manager on the, um, on the screenplay side, on the movie mm -hmm. side. I had one um, and he passed away last year. So I would have just gone straight to Jerry, but now that he's gone, I'm going to have to find somebody to partner with on that. Um, but yeah, my, your literary agents don't usually have 
yeah contacts to be able to do that yeah because i've been thinking my uh book magic the one that said on the outer banks that it's mm -hmm. the uh 2000 year old irish curse it's the one i was just talking about i mm. think it would be fantastic as a series of some sort you know yeah. So, yeah, I've been toying with the idea of figuring out how to write a screenplay and trying to, you know, take these and put them into that somehow in my spare time, which I have none. So it's definitely a totally different skill set. Right. You know, when we're writing the novels, we're building the world. We're drawing those pictures in people's minds and giving them the smells and the feels and the colors and the temperature, all that stuff. And we don't do any of that in the screenplay, you know, that's up to the actors. It all out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very different, but I love dialogue and, um, I love just the idea of being able to see my same story from a different lens. Mm -hmm. So it's been kind of exciting to mess with the screenplays in between projects. Wow. That's really exciting. I can't wait to hear more about that. We can have all kinds of podcast chats, Nancy. Yay. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners appreciate it too and get so much out of all of our guests. And I think your your journey has been so interesting and everything that you do and 40 books. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And I hope um, if listeners have questions, they'll shoot them to you and we'll answer them when the next time we get together. <laughs> yes, that sounds great. And best of luck with all of your new projects and the wedding ranch. And But yes. what is your next project? So I have a uh, scheduled release on June 27th of a novel called And Then There Was You. It's a women's fiction and it's with St. Martin's Press. And then I just signed a contract and I have no idea when this book will come out. It's a very interesting little prospect. I was kind of excited when I heard about it. Guideposts uh, contacted my agent and asked me if I wanted to work on, I believe it's called Love is a Mystery. Um, but we are, I'm partnered with a historical author and mm -hmm. she and I will both write novellas. They'll be set in the same town and an heirloom from her, her historical story will also show up in my contemporary romance and oh, they'll be bundled fun. together. So yeah. And so I'm making a new author friend. Her name is Beth Adams and I'm excited to be working with her and um, our stories will be connected. So I'm working on that right now and I have no idea when that'll come out. And then I've got uh, the story and then there was you is set in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains, like where I live um, in a town called Chestnut Ridge. And I'm working on a Christmas book uh, that is due not too far from now. Um, that's called Christmas at Chestnut Ridge. And I'll be coming okay. out the following year. So you're juggling quite a few things. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> wow. Well, good luck with all of it. I wish you thank lots you. of luck, and I know that it's all going to be fantastic. And again, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Thanks again to Nancy Nagel for being here. If you're like me and like bookish and writerly products, check out the WriterSpark Tea Public store. Remember to like and subscribe or follow this podcast. And, and if you are on YouTube, check us out there and subscribe. Come back for more tips and tricks about fiction writing and learn more about our online courses at www.writersparkacademy.com. I'm Melissa Bourbon. Thank you for listening, and until next time, happy writing.